We always feel good by association with you, Lisa. We do. <laughs> Very good. We're excited about what God is doing in your life and, uh, and the next steps, which are unclear, but God wants to work in those ways. Grade 6 to 8, see you later. Have a great time in your class this morning. Well, I'm, it's my opportunity to kick off a brand new series here at Hillcrest. Um, you may have noticed in the entryway there's some free books there. Free books. We've been giving away lots of free books this year. We just wanted to get you guys good resources. And at Christmas time, we gave you a book called The Case for Christmas. And uh, this is sort of a companion book with it. It's The Case for Easter. And uh, you can take one of those off the table as a free gift from us. And um, this next series, we're going to be uh, talking about Easter, some of the dynamics around Easter. And uh, if, you, if you get into that book uh, and start reading it, You'll, you'll discover that um, uh, Lee Strobel, who writes the book, he lists uh, three different questions that are just sort of uh, questions that people have about uh, Easter. One was, Jesus really dead after his ordeal on the cross? Sometimes people who might be wondering might say, well, did he really die? Then the second question was, was his tomb actually empty on the first Easter morning? And people might wonder about that. And then finally, did, did credible people encounter him after his death? Like, you know, they, you know, people want to check in on these details. So in the next three weeks, you'll hear more about those details. If you read the book, you'll find out more. Let me recommend one other resource. If you have a Netflix account, you can watch um, The Case for Christ, which is a movie. And I, re I watched it this week. I had it on my list. You know, I actually spend more time... Um, curating my list on Netflix than I do watching anything on Netflix. I feel like I'm in Blockbuster all over again. Just indecision. Oh, it's, it's too late now. I can't watch anything. Well, at least I hang out with my friends. Well, now I don't hang out with my friends. I just stare at the screen and go, what to watch? What to watch? Anyhow, I finally watched it. It's been on my list for probably a year. And I finally watched The Case for Christ. It's actually quite good. And you know what I really liked about it? It's set in the 1980s. I have a sort of soft spot in my heart for the 1980s. And uh, there's some great hairdos. There's some great outfits. And, uh, and the main guy, the main uh, actor, and then he drives a great car, a truly great car. Anyhow, his wife drives a, a wood-paneled station wagon, and he drives a Camaro. It's so awesome. Uh, it's just like my dream life. Um, but it's, it's a good movie. And actually... It depends on what kind of, like some people can read a book and that's going to be the best way for it. They'll highlight, they'll underline. I've, I've been doing that with the case for Easter, going through and highlighting and underlining, and, and that's been really helpful to me. But watching the movie, if you're a visual learner at all, which most of us are because of how we grew up, thank you Sesame Street, we, we learn lots by watching video, right? And it's actually quite good. I'd say it's, I, I'd recommend it. And some of those you know how you, every time you hear someone talk about, you know, the evidence for the resurrection or, or the evidence for the Bible, you're like, this is really good, I hope I remember it. And then later you go, I didn't remember it. Watching a, a movie sometimes can help you retain a little bit more. And I, I think that that's worked for me a little bit in watching that one. And even if not, it's just an encouraging, wonderful movie to watch. And, uh, and uh, I just can't get enough of the bell-bottom pants. It's just really awesome. All right. Today I want to talk about, not the, the questions that are yet to be solved, but I want to talk about this question. Did Jesus actually claim to be God? 
did Jesus actually claim to be God? Let me read you Romans 10, 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, in the next few weeks, we'll deal with the God raising him from the dead. We're going to talk about the resurrection more. But today, I want to just talk about that first line, believing that Jesus is Lord. Well, did Jesus himself believe that he was Lord? Did Jesus himself believe that he was God, and did he claim to be God? And sometimes people will throw out the claim, saying, nowhere in the, in the Gospels does Jesus claim to be God. And um, if you're looking in the Gospels for a line that says, Jesus, quotation, I am God, worship me, you won't find that exact quote. And so some people will actually go to like, well, I don't know then, I guess I'll just accept him as a good teacher, or he was, I guess he was a bit of a prophet, but he wasn't God. But you also don't find those lines in the Gospels either. You don't find something that says, Jesus, in quotation, I'm a great teacher, not God. Or he doesn't say, I'm just a prophet, don't worship me. The Bible doesn't say any of those statements, but here's the good news. Uh, Jesus makes it very clear, and the Gospels make it very clear, that Jesus is God. And I made a list this morning. I'm so excited. I'm almost giddy to share this with you. I made a list this morning. I spent uh, a good chunk of my week just going through different parts of the Gospels that talk about how Jesus is God. And I made it into a top 10 list. And that made me really happy. Somehow making it a top 10 list just made it more exciting. But it was really it was really rich and rewarding to go through it, and I want to go through the top 10 ways that we find out that uh, Jesus was God. Okay, so here, let's, let's start at number 10, okay? Number 10, it's in Mark 1, 22 to 28. So the, it says, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, Why do you, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Remember, this, is, this message is all about who was Jesus. So here's our first contributor, a guy who's like possessed. Not a very credible source, you'd say, but let's see what he says. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now what does Jesus say to this? He says, Hey, Listen, guys, listen. Listen to what he said. No, he doesn't say that. He says, be quiet, said Jesus sternly, and then come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now, it says, the people were also amazed. They asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So you say, well, how did this get on your top ten, Steve? How did this get on your top ten? It's the fact that it's, a, it's identifying who Jesus is. And we're gonna, the first sort of witness we're going to bring in this case is uh, a demon. <laughs> I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, you say, well, that's not a credible, that's not a, you know, Something that means to control and deceive and etc. Steal, kill, destroy. That's not a credible witness. And fair enough. But here's the thing. I want to begin with something I think that's very foundational to understanding the revelation of who Jesus is through the Gospels. And that is the fact that when people uh, identified who Jesus was, he didn't always say, hey, good, go tell everybody. In fact... We, early on in the Gospels, we see he does the opposite of that. 
What he does is he says, in this case, to the demon, be quiet. And in other cases where maybe he's healed someone or ministered to someone and they say, man, I'm going to tell everybody. He says, no, no, don't tell anyone. Jesus himself is the one who plays a huge role in hiding or keeping his identity as the Son of God under wraps. You say, why would he do that? Well, there's probably a few different reasons, but I think one of them is he often talks about it's not my time yet. It's not my time yet. There's an actual timing to the will of God. And for Jesus, the timing for the will of God was that he he would lead this ragtag group of disciples which was at its core was, you know, 12 guys, but it sort of ebbed and flowed with other people traveling with him at different times. He would lead them for three years and that they would become his church. They would become his people, the ones who would take his message, his power, his authority, who he was to the whole world. So when people early on in his ministry said, whoa, I know who you are, You know those early adopters who get it right away? (laughs) When they say, I know who you are, I'm going to tell everybody. He'd say, no, no, no. It's not my time yet. It's not my time. God's got a timing to roll this thing out. And right now, I'm just asking you not to tell anyone. Now, sometimes that worked, but other times it didn't. They still went and told people. But it was Jesus himself who was keeping his identity as the Son of God under wraps. So that's number 10. Let's go to number 9. Luke 6, 1 to 5. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, what are you doing? Or why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took the consecrated bread. He ate what was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So they would have had a high respect for David. And here's David did something much worse than the disciples, or seemingly worse. Then Jesus said to him, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Son of Man is a title Jesus used to refer to himself. And we'll find out more of its origins as we get into the message, because that's one of, my, one of my top tens. But I just want to get on to the fact that he's basically saying, Jesus, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath is a pretty bold statement. Because who gave the commandment that the Israelites were to keep the Sabbath? God. Those are commands directly from God. So this is Jesus' way of saying, I am Lord over the Ten Commandments. Well, this is, no human being can make this claim. I can't make this claim, you can't make this claim, nobody can make this claim but God alone. That the Son of Man, that Jesus was the Lord over the Sabbath. So this should have been a huge clue. It's like, whoa, 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 what are you saying? Especially when religious Pharisees are coming to him and talking about what's lawful and what's unlawful on the Sabbath. When he means to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, it'd be like, whoa. Are you serious? Did you seriously just say that? This is pointing to his divinity, that he's God. Number eight on our top ten list is John 8, 56 to 59. Your father, this is, he's talking to some people who are talking with him. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So he saw it, in, in, well, in, but he perceived it in the future. And then they said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? And he's like, you're trying to tell us stuff about Abraham's personal life that we don't know? Like, you're not even 50 years old. What are you, what are you saying? Like, you, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. And then he drops the bombshell. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, this is a strange way to talk, isn't it? Before Abraham was born, I am. If you're an English teacher, you say, hey, fix your grammar. You mean before Abraham was born, I was. No, no. I am is loaded. Loaded, loaded, loaded. I am. When Moses said, who, when he was, God called him in the burning bush to go to Egypt, to rescue the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And he said, I'm going to go up against Pharaoh. God, who am I going to say sent me to do this? And, and the response from God is, I am is sending you. It's, it talks about the eternal nature of God. God has always been, will always be. I am. I don't, I'm not, God was, isn't that God was or God will be. God, I am. God is. Period. Forever. And ever. And ever and ever. I am. So when, when he rolls out, before Abraham was born, I am. He's saying one thing. He's saying, I existed before Abraham. But he uses, he could have said, I was, and that would have said it. But he said, I am. He's using the exact language that God used with Moses. Every Jewish person would know how loaded this statement is. In fact, they know how, they immediately react. It says, the next verse, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They're saying, you are claiming to be God, where are the stones? Where are the big rocks? So you say, Jesus never claimed to be God? Really? We're only at number eight. Number seven, he has the authority. Oh, oh, let me, I won't get in, I won't get jumping ahead. Mark, let me just read it. Mark 2, Mark 2, 5 to 12. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh-oh, red flags. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. You know, blasphemy would be pretending to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, it's harder to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. He's paralyzed. He can't do that. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, again, this title that he uses for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, In other words, if I can cause this man to get up and walk, you'll also know that I have the authority to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. So, Jesus had the power to forgive sins. And the teachers of the law were right in saying, who can forgive sins but God alone? All right. 
Did Jesus ever claim to be God? The evidence is stacking up. Number six, John 10, 5 to 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, there's a big hint, but there's more. Now, Philip jumps into the conversation. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. They don't fully get it yet. They don't fully understand it, but Jesus is patient. Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. and They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So this is packed. I'll just pull out a couple. There's more I could pull out. Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Now, this is confusing stuff when you hear it. I'm in the Father, the Father is me. Who's in who, right? It's confusing. But it's showing how united the Father and the Son are, that they are actually one that they are actually one and then he goes on in the very end it, it's 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 amazing at the end he says you may ask me anything in my name and i will do it okay humans don't say these things only god could say pray to me and i'll answer your prayers and here's jesus in human form saying hey i'm going to be with the father by the way Ask me anything in my name, and I'll do it. Pray to me, and I'll answer your prayers. Whoa. You don't say that unless you're God. You don't say that unless you're God. Now, this gets to some of the confusing parts. I think one of the most confusing things for people about um, this whole Jesus being God is how does it all work? And I, I wish I could explain it all to you, but I don't fully know. But I'm piecing it together a bit, and I'm trusting that the mystery of how God is three in one will become more clear over my lifetime, and then in eternity, I'll rejoice in all of the glory that it is. But the concept of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three, and yet one, is confusing, is confusing. So I did a little bit of searching, and I watched a few videos. I, the, the one I'm going to show you is, is uh, my, uh, I liked it for a few, few reasons. One, it's an ex-Muslim. So Muslims really uh, struggle with the concept of the Trinity. This is a hard one for them. Uh, because they, they're very uh, devout in their belief that God is one. God is one. Well, the Jews were actually the same way. They were very devout in their belief that God was one. Although you do read things in the Old Testament that sort of, uh, sort of seem like they're setting them up for the acceptance of Jesus in the New Testament. There's lots of things. I won't get into all that. That's too much to unpack today. But Muslims, when they, when they come to uh, hear that uh, Christians believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they say, oh, you've got three gods. That's, you, um, you're polytheistic. 
you're not monotheistic. You're not, you don't believe in one God. You believe in three gods. And so then we say, no, no, it's one, but it's three in one. And, and sometimes it's really hard for us to explain. So actually, the video I'm going to show you is an ex-Muslim who became a Christian, who would have grown up very devout with a there's one God view, and then come to understand the Trinity. So, that's, so this is Nabil Qureshi. Some of you might know his book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And just four minutes, it's not going to answer every question you have about the Trinity in four minutes. But it's just sort of some food for thought. We'll give it at this time. Okay, go for it. And what he says, when, when he says the Father is greater than I, here's how I want to answer that. Okay, I have to go to the Trinity then. <laughs> I have to go to the Trinity. All right, make sure you have a good definition of the Trinity. I see the, the primary problem with people trying to explain the Trinity and going straight to an illustration, like the egg or the water illustration, is that illustrations are intended to demonstrate a definition. So if you skip right over the definition and go straight to the illustration, you're going to confuse people. So we need to have a definition for the Trinity. Are you still with me, by the way? Okay, good. I know it's hot in here. There's a lot of people in here, the oxygen levels and such. <laughs> here is the definition of the Trinity. If you write anything down tonight, write this down. God is one in being and three in person. One in being and three in person. Now, that is not a contradiction. See, if, you, if I said he's one in being and three in being, that's a contradiction. And I'm arguing with myself. If I say he's one in person and three in person, that's a contradiction. God is one in being and three in person. So the next obvious question is, Nabil, what's the difference between a being and a person? Glad you asked. Thank you. <laughs> the being, a being, is that quality that makes you what you are, or makes a thing what it is. So being is whatness. And a person is that which makes you who you are. So for example, I am a human being. That's what I am, in case you were confused. I'm a human being. Who I am is not a human being. Who I am is Nabil Qureshi. What I am is a human being. Who I am is Nabil Qureshi. What I am is, is heart, lungs, it's muscles, it's eyes, it's, it's all this, tendons, bones, etc. That's what I am, but that's not who I am. Who I am is a kind, loving, caring, compassionate person, <laughs> as my wife would tell you immediately. <laughs> who I am is very different from what I am. Humans happen to be one being and one person. That's what humans are, one being, one person. God is different. God is one being, Yahweh is what we call God. But he's three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Those three persons are equal because they're all God. They've all existed from the beginning, like John chapter 1 says, because they're all God. So then the question comes up, well, how can Jesus say something like, the Father is greater than I, if they're all God? And the answer is actually quite simple. Let's say I pointed to the President of the United States. Let's say I said Obama. I can very accurately say Obama is greater than I am. Because when he goes somewhere, he rolls with the posse. <laughs> he's, got, he's the most powerful man in the world. People, there's news conferences when he sneezes. I mean, he's greater than I am. But is he any more human than I am? No, he's not. 
He's greater than me in terms of role, but he's not greater than me in terms of essence. In the same way, the father is greater than the son in terms of role. The father is superior. The son is subjected to the father in terms of role. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15. It says that Jesus is going to subject himself to the authority of the father so the father can be all in all. It's because the father is superior in terms of role. But is he any more God than Jesus is? No, because they're both God. There's only one God, and they're equal in essence, father, son, and spirit. So that either cleared some things up or gave you more questions, I'm not sure. But uh, again, God is one in being, I thought that's helpful, and three in person. Okay, that leads us to our number five. Okay, number five. Then came the Feast of Dedication. This is John 10 at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And you probably feel that about this sermon, right? How long will you keep us in suspense, Steve? Why all these sort of sideways hints and clues, but what I want just Jesus to come out and say it. Well, anyhow, that's what they were feeling too. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. But you did not believe. He did tell them in different ways. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. They tell you. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Isn't that great? Jesus and the Father both are playing that role of making sure that you are not snatched out of his hand. That's amazing. I love that. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Whoa, 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 wait. Why are they stoning him? Oh, because of that last statement. I and the Father, I and the Father are one. So before, the passage I read was, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. This one's even more clear. I and the Father, we're one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So when did Jesus claim to be God? Ask the Jews that wanted to stone him. They'll say, you just did it. When you said, I and the Father are one, that's a claim of being God. You claim to be God. Some, I, sometimes I've engaged with different, because there are different religious groups out there that don't hold that Jesus is God. Don't hold that Jesus is God. Uh, one, of the, one of the groups, and again, no animosity, lots, they're probably you know, good people, part of our community, but the Jehovah Witness religion doesn't allow for Jesus to be the divine, to be divine God. Right? And I had a friend, he said it years ago, and he said, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how many times Jehovah's Witnesses tell me he's not God, I'm not going to trust the Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm going to trust the Jewish Witnesses. In this text, who said, you said the fa- you and the Father are one, you just claim to be God. You couldn't have made it clear. You're making a claim to be divine. Number four, 
Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, this is, I, I, this is in the top four because I think it's, Jesus is actually initiating a bit of a revelation of who he is by asking his disciples for their feedback. Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Now, this is really crucial. Because it's one thing to do to sit, you know, around the fireside and talk and say, you know, who do people think God is? Yeah, some people think this, some people think this, some people think that. Hmm, interesting. But as the disciples are doing that kind of roundabout, you know, speculation and stroking their chins and pontificating, Jesus cuts to the chase and says, who do you say that I am? That's getting personal. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Because it's not so much that, what, what do people speculate about Jesus? No, it's what do you, who do you think he is? Who do you think Jesus is? That's what really matters. So Jesus goes directly, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, who was always first to answer, <laughs> jumped right in. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, you're right. And God revealed this to you. So Jesus isn't shrinking back from hiding that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. He's affirming it. And then he goes on later, though, and he says, Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. But again, when Peter comes out and says that you're the Messiah, the son of a living God. Jesus says, yeah, God revealed that to you. It's true. Now I want to go to number three. Number three. Mark 14, 55 to 64. See, I think these get better. I put them in an order. This is just Steve's order. You might have a different order. I might have already grabbed onto one where you say, that's the best one. But number three. Mark 14, 55 to 64. It's a little longer, but this is, this is, I think, a pretty pivotal one. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Now I'm going to jump down to verse... Uh, boy, where's my bifocals? Okay. It looks like it's like 60, 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus... Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. Now, if you read the book of Mark, it's the shortest of the Gospels. It starts with where I started, right? A demon saying, You're the Holy One of God. Shh, be quiet. People saying, Wow, God, you healed me. I'm going to tell everyone. Don't tell anyone. Peter saying, hey, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're right. Don't tell anyone. It's like Jesus suppressing the news all the way along. And then here's the crescendo of Mark. Right here. He's about to be, he's, this is just before his crucifixion. He's been hauled up before the high priest. He's had a similar conversation already with uh, I'm not sure if I've got it in the order, but when he has the conversation with Pilate, Pilate asks him a different question. Pilate's, that one didn't make the top ten, but Pilate says, 
Are you a king? Now, it depends on what Bible translation you have. Uh, but uh, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, says, you are correct when you say that I'm king. And then he goes on to talk a little bit about his role. And I think that's pretty significant. Not, not as significant as, as the other ones in the top ten. I think they're better. But that's pretty significant. So when he's talking to somebody who cares about earthly power, Pilate was sort of like a, you know, ruled in a way like a king over that area. He was under the Roman, he was in the Roman uh, authority, and he was the local Roman authority. And he ruled over that area. So his concern was, are you a competition to that authority? Are you a king? And Jesus says, yes. People wanted to crown him as king. Every time people tried to make him a king, Jesus shrunk back, Jesus hid away, Jesus stopped that. Why? Because it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. But now, it's his time, and he says, yes, I'm a king. When he goes to meet the high priest, though, the high priest is not concerned that he's a king. High priests don't care about that. Let kings come and go. They're concerned whether he, what's his connection to God. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man, again, remember that's the phrase referring to himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes Why do we need to hear any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Why did they condemn him? Why did he tear his robes? Why the strong reaction? He was claiming to be God. Well, you say, well, what's this? The son of the blessed one, the son of man, sitting at the right hand of the mighty one. Now this you have to know a little bit more in Old Testament. When Jesus says he's the son of man, he's referring to a specific passage in a specific Old Testament book. Does anyone know which book it is? Daniel, thank you. It's the book of Daniel. In fact, Daniel chapter 7, there's, uh, Daniel is having a dream. And in Daniel's dream, I'll, I'll read you a few of the verses out of Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. It says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Anyone remember that song? Ancient of Days, and you're, you ever sang it in church? Three people. Okay, not popular. Anyhow, that was a cool song. 15 years ago. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, etc., etc. It's talking about all these, about this Ancient of Days. And you say, well, who can that possibly be? The Ancient of Days, the Eternal One. That must be God. But then, later on, get down to verse 13. It says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Where do we hear that? Jesus says it repeatedly through all the Gospels. Talking about himself. The son of man. The son of man. The son of man. Now he's been saying that to farmers and fishermen. He's been saying that to sometimes to Pharisees and sometimes to, to different ones. But now he's right before the high priest the highest level of the religious leaders. Now, these guys all know Daniel chapter 7. When he says, the Son of Man, about himself, he's talking about this vision. And what does this vision tell us about this character that shows up? The Ancient of Days is sitting on his throne. And here's this one. He approaches the Ancient of Days, 
and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Then, oh, let me, and all the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Whoa. They worshipped this other character? Here you have the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne, and then this other one comes along, and he's given uh, glory, authority, and sovereign power, and people begin to worship him. Well, who can this be? And how is the Ancient of Days okay with that? It says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus says to the high priest, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. You know how a throne room works, right? If you watched any movies where there's a throne room, who sits? Just the king, right? The king sits, then you've got like the person saying, Next we have the Earl of York or whatever. And, uh, and then different guests are coming in and there's people. But mostly in a throne room, there's only one sitting person. That's the king. Now occasionally there might be two thrones. You might say, well, there might be a throne for the queen as well. It's often not as glamorous as the king's throne. Again, we're talking Middle Ages. Don't be, don't, I'm not saying anything sexist. But, uh, you know, or sometimes there'll be a vice regent, someone who's helping that, maybe this is a young king, maybe he's a teenager and he needs some older man to guide him and he'll sit on a throne too. So there's sometimes there's a sharing of power. But only those in power and authority have a seat. Everyone else stands. And it says this one comes to sit beside the Ancient of Days at his right hand. And Jesus says to the high priest, you will see the Son of Man sitting, referring to himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, you know Daniel chapter 7. You know that there's one that comes beside the Ancient of Days and that the nations worship. This is me. This is the crescendo of the book of Mark. This is the moment. This is the big reveal. This is what Jesus has been suppressing and keeping quiet and saying, don't tell a lot of people, my time's not yet. God's got a plan to unfold after three years for me to go to the cross, but it's not yet. And finally, the big reveal happens. And they condemn him. They say, you are, you are claiming to be God. You must, this is blasphemy. That's what claiming to God be God is. And you say, well, that's, that's pretty potent. That's pretty potent. But I got two more. I want to share two more. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you say, well, there's this Word that was God. Well, that's interesting. How can we know who the Word is? But then you go to John 1, 14, and it says, That Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was God, and who was the Word? It was the one who came from the Father and became flesh and dwelt among us. It was Jesus. I think that's one of the most direct ones you can look at. It's John 1, 1, tied with John 1, 14. So they can't, pretty hard to beat that one. Jesus was God. But you know what? Here's my favorite one. I love it because of simplicity. I love it because of its simplicity. John 20 says, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. This is after Jesus' death and his resurrection. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe and thomas said to him my lord and my god and jesus said because you've seen me you have believed blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed when thomas said my lord and my god jesus didn't rebuke him jesus didn't say you got it wrong jesus said blessed are you Because you got it right. You got it right. And not just you got it right intellectually. Because an intellectual knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God doesn't really go anywhere. To believe means to trust. To believe means to recognize him as God. And it's natural once you believe to do what Thomas did. To begin to worship my Lord and my God. To have a sense of awe and wonder about this Jesus, who is God. It's my favorite of all of them. Because of its simplicity. And I love what Jesus says at the end. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He's talking about us. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. It's like, I love this moment. Someone calls Jesus God in the simplest terms, and Jesus basically responds with saying, finally. (laughs) Bless you. You got it right. So, I was listening to this story. You you heard a little bit of Nabil Qureshi, his story. I was listening to his testimony, and I found it very fascinating that when he gets to telling his story about being a devout Muslim and then becoming a Christian, he he tells about his moment of belief and this is it it actually struck me because it's different than most people's moments of belief because of his background a high reverence for god a high reverence for god when he comes to pray or respond to god and in the way that he did what he says is he says lord i believe that you are jesus You see, that's actually different than most people. A lot of people would say, uh, Jesus, I believe that you are God. That's where I'm hoping to lead you here this morning to the moment where you could, the Holy Spirit, hopefully acting on the scriptures that you heard, will come, bring you to a point where you'll come to see that Jesus is God. But Jesus put that word on this side of the stage, and God put the word on this side of the stage for them to come together. And it's funny how some people start from either angle. Some people say, well, I believe in God. I just don't really know who he is. And the answer is, he is Jesus. And other people say, well, I like Jesus. I like his teachings. I think he was a great moral teacher. I I think maybe he was even a prophet. But no, he's more than that. He's God. And these things have to come together. And so whether you start like Nabil Qureshi from one angle saying, well, I believe in God. I just didn't know he was Jesus. 
Or you come from the other end of the table and you say, I believe in Jesus. I just didn't know he was God. However that moment comes for you, it's a moment of trust. It's a moment of belief. I love that I'm going to share just one last verse with you, and then we'll be done. John 1.12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Read it again. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when you believe in Jesus, when you begin to trust Jesus, when you realize that you can trust Jesus, he's God. He's the only one you really can trust your life to, entrust your life to. He made you. He died for you to buy you back, to pay for your sin, to make the path to God open. So believe in him. And then it says, receive him. So what does that mean? Receive him for who he is. Not as a great moral teacher. He's more than that. Not as a prophet who spoke for God way more than that, but as God himself. So believe, receive, and then here's the last one. He gave the right to become children of God. Become. Believe, receive, and become. Let's stand together. In the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about uh, those three questions I identified at the beginning of my message, about all the details of the resurrection. But before we go there, today, you could make a decision. I don't know if he's even making a decision. You can respond to what your heart is already telling is true. Now, I think what goes part and parcel with believing in Christ is committing your life. In fact, Jesus died for us so that we no longer would live for ourselves, but we'd live for the one who died for us and rose again. And so, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that what he did on the cross is enough for you. Receive him as Lord, as who he is, as God. And then become his child, become his son, become his daughter, begin a lifetime of walking with him. Become a part of his family today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that each one of us has this glorious opportunity to receive this incredible gift to becoming one of your children. That we can become a child of God. And I thank you that you didn't leave us guessing or, or trying to figure out who Jesus was. But Father, you made it clear. And Jesus, you made it clear. In spirit, you're making it clear. <laughs> Lord, we don't understand everything about how, who you are and how you function, but we understand your intentions towards us. That you desire for us to be reconciled to you to become into relationship with you and to become yours. If you're here this morning and you haven't, you've never sort of responded to God 
something's welling up within your heart and you know you need to this morning, I want to just guide you really quickly just in a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. You can just say the essence of these same words in your heart. God knows your intentions. He knows your sincerity. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. And I receive you in my life as Lord and Savior. I want you to lead me. And I need you to forgive me. All the things that I've done in my past, would you forgive them? The Bible says that you will, and so I just, I receive that today. I receive that you want to make me brand new in you and lead my life. Thank you that you want me in your family and to walk with me all my days. In your name, amen.